Boozoo, hello, Leah Lam here. Thank you so much for listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I just want to start off by letting you know that we did finish recording these podcasts in February. So as you'll know, that's before we faced all the changes and adjustments that we're now making during the COVID-19 pandemic. So you'll notice we don't talk about it at all, and that's why. But if you're interested in hearing stories and conversations about life during the pandemic, Cole Primo and I are talking to folks in a spin-off podcast called Native Lights Bidapi. So check that out as well. With that said, please enjoy these awesome Native stories on Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Welcome to Native Lights, the podcast where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. What's going on? Not much. Back in the studio. It's exciting to be here. (laughs) Same setup as last time, but a little more experience under our belts, huh? They let us come back. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. No, there's been a lot of good things that's happened with the podcast, you know. I know. Live show at the State Fair. Yeah, we got to do a lot of stuff in this past year. Yep. Sometimes, you know, when you work on something, it seems kind of like you don't get instant feedback. Yeah. Right? Like, you don't really hear, like, oh, that was cool, you know, right after you do it. It's just like a bunch of work. And then you release it in the world and you get some likes. And And wait a little bit. (laughs) Wait a little bit. (laughs) But it was really cool to get some responses. Yeah. One of my favorite things to hear was that, um, it reminded somebody of home. Oh, yeah. Because right. he lived a ways away and was like, you know, it's awesome to hear those native voices on a podcast and hear those accents and, you know, all mm-hmm. that good stuff. So, and it kind of gave us like inspiration and ideas for this next season. Mm-hmm. So, as we talked about in season one, um, what's really important to us about native lights is to be a way for native voices to shine in a way that doesn't focus on you know all the negative things the disparities and mm-hmm. the the doom and gloom the doomy and gloomy <laughs> gloom and doomy yeah like, whichever way yeah so we're gonna do the similar thing for season two and you know embrace all those awesome stories that people have to tell yeah very excited to get to it you know exactly so do you want to get to it yeah all right let's do it we are going to start out with a topic near and dear to me, making babies. How life happens, yes. <laughs> How life happens. I, I have one child. He's amazing. But the process to getting there... <laughs> was less amazing (laughs) the actual pregnancy and delivery and a bit of that postpartum stuff um, was actually pretty hard Mm -hmm. it wasn't the most positive experience on the planet i I gotta say that Uh, you were sitting out in the uh, waiting room weren't you (laughs) yeah i feel like mom said something about her hearing sounds she's never heard before (laughs) when (laughs) something like that that. or like swear words that she's never heard before or something like that one of the one of the two were they coming from my mouth or her i think it was yours (laughs) okay it it was really Mm -hmm. 
a kind of a traumatic experience. Like so many things involved um, that just kind of went a little not bad because, you know, the end result is perfectly fine. He's a healthy kid, tall, hungry, smart. Mm-hmm. But that whole process there was something I never want to repeat. We're not even that far into the podcast. And it's already that time where I say I have hard time understanding because I'm a dude and giving birth, being a mother, little or zero understanding. Yeah, but you can have empathy, right? Yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like possibly me having a kid, it's just like I can see how it can be a challenge. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have a way to fully understand. And that makes sense. Definitely. Right? (laughs) I will never understand. (laughs) Yeah. It it is all about the people who can actually push him out at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So today. Yes. We are talking about giving birth and how possibly to make it a better experience. Mm -hmm. To Kill a Lightfield is our first guest. I had met her years back at uh, a meeting Mm. um, for this cool project, the Indigenous Food Network. And she was talking about how important breastfeeding is and it's an original Indigenous food. And I was like, that's so cool. Like, that makes so much sense. And so I kind of remembered her from that meeting and... I found out that she was a doula and I was like, oh, how great would that be to have had, <laughs> first of all? So I wanted to talk to her about it. Uh, I went to the Division of Indian Work where she works and we sat down and chatted. My name is Takayla Lightfield and I'm Minikoju Lakota from the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe of South Dakota. And I moved here to the cities about five years ago and I currently work as a family spirit home visitor for the Division of Indian Work. And then I'm also a doula for the Ninde Doula Project here. And a doula just basically offers a lot of support for expecting moms. Sure. So a doula is a support person for a family who's expecting You know, a lot of times people go into their prenatal appointments and there's just like a lot of medical terms thrown around or even in the labor and delivery room. Like we have the knowledge or training and we can decipher those or we can take the time to research it more. You know, the family's on the go or doesn't have access. So informational support, emotional support, obviously, because (laughs) with hormones and and new new lives coming into this world, um, there's lots of ups and downs and everything. And so just being there, whether it's a listening ear or a crying shoulder, a shoulder to cry on, you know, and then also physical support. And that comes into play during the labor. We talk about so many things, all of her different roles that she plays, but especially when she talks about becoming a doula, her eyes just light up. You know, she seems really excited about this. You can almost hear it in her voice, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I thought I kind of knew what a doula was. (laughs) I have these images of like, you know those uh, period movies where like the lady like runs around with a tub of hot water and yeah. towels or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I just had like Pat's forehead maybe holds her hand or something like that. <laughs> right. Um, so talking to Takela, I find out so much more about what the role of a doula really is. So here's more from Takela about how she knew she wanted to become a doula, and of course, just like. A lot of other stories, it starts with her own experience of labor and delivery with her baby. 
I always give the example of when I had my daughter, I had a doula and she did hip squeezes and rubbed my lower back for three hours because I was having back pain with my labor. So that's like, that was like a ton. I don't know how she did it. I don't know if I could do that, but it's like an athlete. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Lots of stamina. Wow. So I felt really prepared going into the labor when I was there. Like I'm usually really a chatty person, but I didn't talk like during my late, my, well, my daughter's labor, whatever, however you say that. Mm -hmm. So I was in the zone. I didn't talk, but I, I labored for a long time, but I didn't think of it like negatively. Like I was in a really good place. I was supported. So understandably, right, Tequila's husband could uh, use his own support as well. Yeah, I can't imagine 14 hours of labor. My husband was like so worried about me. So actually, our doula really helped him during that time because he's like, what's going on? My wife literally has not spoken a word for like 14 hours. (laughs) And then when when, because I was laboring so long, my water had broke. And that's why we went into the hospital. There was also meconium present. So it means that my daughter had her first bowel movement inside me in utero. And so when she was born, they had to have a special care unit there to make sure that she didn't ingest any and there wasn't weren't any signs of infection. Tequila says that things got pretty intense uh, after her water broke because the meconium was present. Like, oh, you know, you only have so much time now. The doctors and nurses really started to rush things at this point because of that. Chaotic environment, yeah. They kind of put you on a timer and want to get things done and da-da-da-da, and they're checking off lists or whatever. It helped me that I didn't talk because they'd come in and they'd present your op- my options. Like, okay, well, you know, you've been laboring for a long time, so, you know, maybe you just want to rest now, and so we could give you an epidural. And that was, like, not in my birth plan at all. Like, I wanted an unmedicated labor and delivery. And so... Then they presented some other options and some other medications, and we're talking about all this stuff. And my husband just, like, did not know what that was. We asked them, to the hospital staff, to, like, step out of the room. And my mom, I didn't, they did. And my mom and my doula and my husband just discussed, like, what was going on. And we kind of decided, like, okay, we're going to, I was going to get up and start, like, walking around because I hadn't done that. And then, yeah, within, like, two loops of me walking around, like, the just the little room we were in, they put a, a wheelchair in the middle and locked it so that if I needed to grab onto it, I could. Within, within doing two loops, like, that's when I felt finally felt the need to push. And then three hours later, my daughter was born, but my husband, like, turned to our doula. Like, literally the first thing out of his mouth after she was born was he turned to our doula and he was like, we're never having another child without you. <laughs> <laughs> because there were times where he just like didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to comfort me, you know, when she did like the hip squeezes or the back rubs or the anything like that. Like he just was like at a loss. And so feeling that support, like there wasn't any anxiety. I just am so happy that Tequila is sharing her birth story with us. I think it's really special to hear why becoming a doula is so important. Yeah, and the fact that the husband was like immediately you know, thanking the doula for helping them because, I mean, he needed help, she needed help, like everybody needed help, and the doula was there to to do that. So that was crazy. So after hearing from Tequila, like, would you have wished that you had a doula for Marvin's birth? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, when you look back, it's like, I'm glad things, you know, in the end worked out, right? Mm -hmm. But Gosh, I, I kind of sometimes I wonder, like, maybe I wouldn't mind having another kid or something like if the ex- whole experience had been better. Sure. In talking to Tequila, 
it just seems like there's kind of hope for a better way, um, which is really exciting to me. Not that I'm necessarily going to change my mind. Uh, you hear that, Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> um, but going back, yeah, sure. I kind of wish I could have had a doula. I mean, my mom was in the room. Daniel's mom was in the room. Daniel was in the room. Uh, so I did have some yeah. support there, but they didn't know how to really support me. Uh, mom was kind of freaking out a little oh, bit, yeah. not going to lie. Because <laughs> they're biased, you know. <laughs> Right. Well, mom has her own like birth stories that she wouldn't wish on me, you yeah. know. So um, there's nervousness there and, you know, Dan becoming a new dad, probably some nervousness there. And it would be nice to have some non-nervous <laughs> energy in the sure. room um, from somebody there to uh, support me. Is so. that So that's probably like big, you know, characteristic for a doula is like this calming presence, somebody who's not like you said, like freaking out because they're the mother or you know, right. father or something like that. So. Yeah. So yeah. when I went into labor, I didn't, you know, I just expected kind of like on those, you know, online forums or the books, you know, for it to be like, yeah, and then you hug your baby after you push them out and then, you know, you nurse them and then, you know, your body fills with endorphins and, you, you know, this feeling of amazement washes over you and so and i'm like waiting i'm like looking at my watch on my swollen wrist like when is that gonna kick in <laughs> when's that kicking in but yeah i think yeah it would be really helpful to have a doula just to prepare a little better have some you know go through different possibilities because marvin had to go into the nicu the neonato neonative and neonative <laughs> There you go. <laughs> that's that's accurate. Neonatal <laughs> intensive care unit because um, he was a little sick, but just like not even realizing all the different outcomes that could happen after they enter into the world. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so it would be nice, I think, yeah. to have a doula. But so maybe I would support others <laughs> in having a doula in the future. Yeah. Someone like Tequila could have helped me probably prepare a little better and she says that that's really the heart of her work a lot of people get confused and think that doulas are advocates and we may advocate you know like in the community or if we go to meetings or things like that but that's actually not our role when it comes to the labor and delivery our role is more support and reminding the person what they wanted and to advocate for themselves so I like the point that she's making there that the moms can empower themselves because it's a moment, a day, hours, where a woman is very powerful, like both very powerful and very vulnerable all at the same time. So how can we kind of embrace that powerful side of ourselves at that time to really speak up for ourselves, to be able to speak up for ourselves? So I really like that part of how a doula helps a mom. Mm -hmm. So Tequila talks about how in her work she has helped mothers in that way. There was this one mom, and so we have like a um, packet of paperwork we have to fill out, you know, with them. And part of that is their birth plan or birth preferences for when baby actually comes. And a lot of women I find like don't know that they have options or rights. And so that's kind of our job as doulas is to like inform them like actually you do have a say in what's happening to your body. And so a lot of times I'm 
the question is, will anyone else be in the room? Like, do, will you have any other supports in the room? And this mom, you know, she had sisters, she had a cousin, she had all these people that that she wanted to be there or had said they were going to be there. Well, when she was in labor and they admitted her to the hospital and she was going to be staying and having this baby, no one else came. So I'm right there with that mom, helping her focus, reminding her of things that she wants to happen. She was just like so grateful that I was there. She would like be going through a really tough contraction and I would hold her hand or grab her hand or something like that. And then she would just get through it. And then she would say, thank you so much for being here. And it just meant so much to me that in that moment, she was still so grateful when every, you know, we were focusing on her, everything was about her and the baby. And I don't know, it was a really good feeling. Yeah, it was really awesome. She could be there for her. Sometimes people can't make it that you expect to be there for any number of reasons, but to be able to count on a doula to be there is, I think, pretty special. Yeah, when it's going to come, it's going to come. So to have that person that will be there at the drop of a hat and be there through it the entire time, that's very admirable. That's a perfect way for Tequila to be using her gifts to help the community. Like that really sums it up. Mm -hmm. Just helping women in their time that they need it the most, right? Yeah. It's just amazing to me that these doulas like Tequila, like they're there for the mothers, they're there for the birth through thick and thin. They can't just say, oh, it's getting late. You know, see you later. I'll be back. You know, it's a birth. Like, so it's this commitment to stay in comfort and help. I mean, it's good stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, as you and I know, as our community knows, there are all these, you know, health disparities that folks talk about a lot that are really important for indigenous people, indigenous women, women of color. And so Tequila works with both native and non-native moms. So I asked her if she's seen, you know, like a difference in treatment among her patients based on culture, race, et cetera. I do contract with the Ninde program, and that's where I serve Native women and Native families. And then I also do private births. And I haven't come across anything really where there was a difference in how they were treated. Um I think I've been very fortunate, and I'm also a new, newer doula. I've only been doing this for three and a half years. But there are definitely times, unfortunately, where like Indigenous families or people of color are treated differently in the labor and delivery room. Mm -hmm. And there's there can be times where there's discrimination or racism, whether it's like happening right there out in the open and everyone notices it or if it's little kind of like microaggressions and things. And I don't know if it's because when I'm present, people are acting on their best behavior or that's maybe why I don't see it, but there are definitely so many stories in like the birth world of things happening. It's not necessarily just like based on like a person's color or anything like that. It might be like cultural things. It might be trauma that's happened to them and then all of a sudden they're just being touched and they're not like, you know, there's no real trauma-informed care. Yeah. So doulas aren't only bringing in that comfort and help, they're bringing in the traditions and the culture. So I like that. Exactly. Yeah. And we had talked a bit, like, was there a, like a word in Ojibwe or Lakota or Dakota for something like a doula? Yeah. You know, it, what was that role? And, you know, we kind of scratched our heads. We don't really know, you know, that <laughs> sort of history there. 
if it was actually a specific role at all yeah. or if it was like something that the grandmas helped out with the aunties sisters helped out with whoever right yeah what did it look like before everything was like separated out and roles were made sure so yeah if anybody knows the answer to that history um, for a specific tribe or community we're at native lights at ampers.org there you go <laughs> she always want to be a doula? I mean, it's not something you normally hear, you know, kids when they're younger saying, you know, I want to be a doula. It's more like an you know, astronaut or firefighter or something like that. Like, so how did, how did that all come about? Yeah, we talked about that a bit and here she talks a bit about that. Well, actually, I had always been interested in like the nursing field or working in the medical field or healthcare field, but I didn't do very well in college at first and all the hard sciences. It was like very hard transition for me going from high school where I didn't have very like strong academics. I thought I did and I did really well, but then I got to college and it was like a slap in the face. So then it took me like a really long time to like figure out a how to learn, how to study, how to write a paper, you know, like things like that. And then um, so I kind of was just taking classes and kind of declared a major haphazardly because I had a lot of credits in that area. But knew I didn't really want to do anything after college in that area. And I took some time. I just worked. I lived abroad, you know, had lots of fun. So it was later that a friend of a friend suggested that Tequila become a doula. That friend was like, have you ever thought about being a doula? And I was like, no, what is that? Like, I hadn't even heard of it. She's like, well, it's like a support person for someone who's pregnant and uh, you don't have to like go back to school. Like you can either like shadow someone, shadow a doula and become a doula. And she's like, I think you'd be really good at it just with your personality and your laid back attitude. And I went home and I Googled it. I was like, a doula, a doula, A-D-O-O-L-A, A-D-O. <laughs> like I didn't even know how to spell it. Like I, she kept saying a doula, a doula. So I thought it started with an A. <laughs> Luckily, Google is smarter than me. And I w- read a little bit about it, but it was literally that same week that I got pregnant with my daughter and she was planned like we had been trying. And so I kind of thought, oh, well, I definitely know that I want a doula, you know, with like with this pregnancy and with her birth and stuff. And I was waiting and waiting to meet this one who I thought was a native doula in the community. I couldn't get connected with her. That was the only one I ever he- even heard of. And this was in 2015. And then eventually, through other friends, I connected with a different doula. And really, my husband and I both really got along with her, you know, like just hit it off really well. She was from South Dakota as well. And so we asked her to be our doula. And then literally, like I I labored for 24 hours and she was there for a really long time. And just during part of my labor, I thought, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to support other women, like when they're going through this, because like with her support and my husband and my mom was there, too. I just had like a great experience. So the Division of Indian Work has a program where they paid for Tequila's training to become a doula. So they paid for all the doula's training. And then also we got paid for the two births that we did that first year. And so kind of just like jumped right in. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Tequila has been working with the Ninde doula program at the Division of Indian Work for about the past three and a half years. We try to serve more of at-risk women that maybe don't have support from their family or a partner or are homeless, have different issues, but we don't really have any kind of screening tool that we use. So if someone finds out about the program and and they identify as Indigenous, like 
usually they can just be a part of it, um, sign up for it. We match them. I don't, but we have a program coordinator. She matches them with a doula, either based on some of the interests that the pregnant woman might have or the availability of the doulas. It's been about 70 women, I guess, over four years. And she sees a movement growing in the field. Especially in the Native community. Man, there are things popping up all over the United States and Canada. And so... I don't think it's like a fad. I see in some areas where it is like, oh, I'm going to have the photographer and I'm going to have the doula and these kinds of things. But when I look at it on the Native side, I really just think it's like reclaiming our traditions and reclaiming like a lot of those ways. That's so awesome. It's not about some sort of wild innovations or anything, but uh, honoring of traditions and what what we've done in the past that have been very successful stuff like that that's worked yeah reclaiming that yeah i am just so happy that tequila wanted to talk about this and so thank you tequila thank you big thank you for sharing your story Um, and she does so much more too she helps families you know with her work there at division of indian work she Mm -hmm. is breastfeeding consultant in the native community and she's just like really incredible All right, big thank you to Tequila Lightfield for sharing her story today. It was amazing. And thank you for joining us today for this episode of Native Lights, where indigenous Indigenous voices voices shine. shine. Join us on our next episode where we hear from celebrated Anishinaabe elder and family physician who shows us how to balance power and privilege with humility and connectedness. We want to thank our engineer, Justice Sanchez, program manager, Aaron Warhol, and producers, Melissa Townsend and Lori Stern. Music by both me and Cole Primo. I'm Leah Lem. And I'm Cole Primo. Gigawabaman. Gigawabaman. Lights Podcast, where Indigenous voices shine, is a production of Minnesota Native News and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. Native Lights Podcast is made possible by funding from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund and the citizens of Minnesota. If you'd like to help us spread the word about Native Lights, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, and every major listening app, as well as minnesotanativenews.org. Skipping away over the coast.